about you know Bieber or whoever this week, but I, I, I don't have it. I just I just like this song. So uh, hi everyone, Adam Cataldo. The other gentleman that will be speaking up in a minute who picked the music is Manny Gonzalez. We both are in sales and in the wine world. Welcome to Bottle the Bottle. We figured we should introduce ourselves this time before talking so that we don't actually forget to introduce ourselves. And I still almost started talking and forgot to introduce us. That's just how you know good we are at this all the time. What are we listening to, Manny? This, this is a cool track. First of all, um, forgetting to inter- introduce ourselves is kind of on brand for us. So this is going to be an awkward part for me because I'm not really used to doing this. Uh, so this artist by the name of Takonobu, um, Takon- Nick Takonobu and his wife, uh, Catherine Koch. Uh, she's a violinist. He's a cello player, singer, songwriter. Um, this is their song, Glorious Harmonious, from their album, Conclusion. Which I'm assuming you picked because we're talking about wine and food today. And when it works together, the, the, the pairing is glorious and harmonious. You know, I, I really wish that I was that clever. Um, I'm really not because I I struggled with this. And I wish I would have thought of that. Actually, no, no, I, I thought of that. Yeah, that's why we did. No, I actually struggled <laughs> with it. Because, you know, when we talk about, so we're talking about food wine pairing today. Um, food wine pairing is all about how things complement one another. And music is part of that. That's why I do music wine pairings and why we always start with really cool artists with each episode um, that correlates with what we're doing. But what I really like about Takonobo and his, his music or their music is that it's not that it can fit in the background easily, but it doesn't dominate the conversation. And every time I have friends come over our house, this happened a few weeks ago when we had uh, had my chimenea out and I had my speaker in the window and I had a playlist going, some cool stuff, and Led Zeppelin came on and my friend Dan and I are both musicians. And we were talking about, you know, how do we raise young men to not uh, adhere to this toxic masculinity and all of a sudden we both just start going do you need love give it to me baby give it to me which is nothing I mean it's everything to do with our conversation and, and but it we couldn't help ourselves um, it just ends up dominating our emotion and it dominates the conversation and at that point our wives stop listening to us at all and mm. then we have talk about so um picking music with dinner it should be good it should have a a vibe it should have a feel it should have energy but it shouldn't control the landscape of the conversation the people that you're with and and that's why i chose takanobo and is also he's obscure uh, that not, not a lot of people know him not enough people know him and so if i can introduce him anywhere i can i'm always always happy to do that that's cool it's a great track uh I want to back up for a minute, though. I'm impressed that before you and your friend burst into the song, you implied that the wives were listening to you before that. Uh, Mine never listens to me. So if you can impart any knowledge after the podcast about how to get my wife to listen to me, I would love that that info. She just tunes me out right away. I so. can uh, I could do that now because I don't think my wife listens to, to the podcast. <laughs> not, even, not even gratuitously. Not even just as I feel so sorry for you that you do this. Uh, nope. <laughs> on your time off. No. Um, she just says good job, and then, then that's it. The first time we put uh, a video up on whatever platform, it was one of those two-minute, three-minute things. It was three weeks later, I think. My wife finally watched it, and what was one of mine. And she watched it, and at the end, she turns to me and goes, I don't think the music worked for for what you were talking about. And that was it. (laughs) That was it. There was no nice job, honey, oh, that was interesting. And and maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Again, there's like five people who listen to us. Maybe we're not that interested. It wasn't thinking you're hearing. But nothing. It was just that the the, the, the music didn't work. Okay, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) <laughs> she's not listening so I won't get in trouble for telling you that story <laughs> no, she's not going to listen if, you, if she is on the off chance she is love you honey didn't mean it <laughs> good save right so uh, this week's a little unique too uh, we're talking wine and food which is a great the, the idea 
for the 13 of you who, who listen often, we always try and do a region and pick something kind of cool so that we can talk about the region and a wine and a producer that we like for whatever reason, introduce you to something that you haven't seen before. Uh, we figured with Thanksgiving coming up, holiday season, uh, it's the, it, this is wine season. So we're in sales. This is when all the big sales happen. People who don't drink all year long start to drink now. And the biggest question we get is, I'm having people over for Thanksgiving. What can I pair with Thanksgiving dinner? Now, I didn't pull things specifically that's Thanksgiving food or Thanksgiving wine per se. It could work. I'll let Manny talk about his when, when he gets there. But the the idea was to kind of demystify wine and food pairing because from my perspective, what's out there on the interweb or in your wine spectator, your publications, there's a lot of different information. There's a lot of conflicting information because unlike science, math, Anything else that has rules, uh, in air quotes, um, the rules for pairing wine and food are extremely subjective and, and arbitrary in many ways. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And I think what we wanted to do today was scale it back a little bit, demystify and give some basic guidelines that will make you feel better and more confident about you picking what you want to drink with what you want to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Ultimately, we, we get to pick wines that that we like to drink. Um, and today we didn't, at least I didn't go, you know, flat out, like, let me pick something really super, I mean, I picked a really cool wine. But the thing with wine and food pairing, especially for a big group of people, you need to buy several bottles. And it's already a big enough expense to have dinner at your home to and just the emotional expense of having your family come in, having Uncle Carl make some cancel culture comment, uh, you know, have your aunt Ethel, you know, tell you if you're single, tell you why you haven't found a nice boy yet or, or whatever. You know, the last thing you need is to also worry about an expense. And so for myself, I picked a wine that's affordable, that goes great with everything. Um, I know we're going to talk about our pairings in a minute, but I paired, I actually finished my food pairing because I was really hungry and it was really good. I just had a turkey BLT sandwich um, and it worked great with my wine. And my wine also works great with, well, anything really. It's one of my favorite, favorite wines. It's awesome. The other thing we did too, it's different. Normally, as most of you, you know, and by most of you, I mean 11 of the 13 of you who listen, have gleaned. Uh, every week when you do listen, Manny and I normally talk about what we're gonna pull beforehand so that we don't wind up pulling the same wine. If I pull a white, he pulls a red and so on. Uh, this week we did not discuss what we were grabbing beforehand. So we're both gonna surprise ourselves with, with what we have. So this should be interesting. All right, I, did not, I did not pull rosé. I did not pull bubbles. And I did not pull bubbly rosé. So Manny has no idea what I have. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's white. Yes. Yes, it is. You told me it was white uh, just so I, we had some kind of contrast. But, but that's it. So what do, you, what do you have? What is your, what is your food wine? So I went completely uh, out of left field. Well, I should, well not really. It, it, it kind of all ties together. When I got to pick where we were going a couple months ago, I picked Alsace, right? Yeah, because I love Alsatian whites, all of them in in many different ways. But one of my favorites is is Riesling. I picked a Riesling, but not an Alsatian Riesling. I picked a wine called Poet Sleep oh. from the Columbia Valley in Washington, and I went the same kind of route that Manny did. So mine isn't retail wise. Mine is going to be probably more along the twenty dollar range and we'll get to that when I talk about the wine and how it's made and where it comes from and so on but same thing I wanted to be under that threshold but have that high quality and have that diversity and also I just wanted to completely baffle Manny because I picked a New World's Riesling as my wine and there's no way <laughs> you would have guessed that I but. know well I picked a California Pinot Noir and no, I'm just kidding uh <laughs> 
I picked, and actually, I'm really excited to try this because this is, ew, it's too sunny. There we go. Ooh. All right, this is a wine called, it's a winery called La Vignetta. This is part of their mono series, mono varietal. I'll talk more about it. And there is a beautiful chimpanzee. His name is Bongo on the label. And this comes from Importa, Spain. And um, I'll just quickly say Monastrol, which is also a grape called Movedra, can be really rich, really heavy, intense, uh, but not so much in this area. And it works really well with food. In the summertime, this is my, you know, put a chill on it, have some burgers. It's super awesome. And it's great with mushrooms. It's great with my turkey BLT. Um, so that's what I got today. I'm a little more fancy, or at least an attempt to be fancy. I did charcuterie. So I have prosciutto. I have soppressata. I have some funky soft goat cheese from Vermont, which is absolutely delicious. I have truffle gouda. I have apricot jam. I have a fresh baguette and salted butter. I just, and basically, I just, if you were to have to listen to me chew the entire time, I was going to enjoy it. How is, how is the salted butter, by the way? Uh, it's heaven. So, look, I understand why we can't use salted butter for everything, because it, it imparts extra salt when you're when you're cooking and you're making a dish, especially if you're baking, right? You don't want to oversalt something unless you're me. Then you want as much salt as possible. Or my children who put salt in cereal, if I would let them. Uh, but salted butter on a fresh piece of bread is just a sublime experience as far as i'm concerned with or without the wine with the wine it can be even better but i'm just i we could do the entire podcast on salted butter and i'd be okay with that you know i was uh saying telling adam earlier i worked with this great chef and he never put butter in any of his food because his com his point was always butter and gasoline tastes great and when you have really good butter and you have really good bread it is that's all you need really i mean this is why the french revolted in the 1780s, 1790s, because they they didn't have bread, right? So let them eat cake, brioche, whatever. I know she never said that, but you know, but that combination. First of all, they needed all that fat, but that that flavor combination is just absolutely fantastic. And you know, if you're listening, you can't see it, but Adam is buttering his bread right now. Yes, really fantastic, and I'm jealous about that. Well, you know, I would figured I'd take the opportunity while you're talking to enjoy some uh, <laughs> oh. Well, now that you put food in your mouth, uh, this is the waiter trick. How is everything so far? <laughs> That's they always wait until you have food in your mouth. Um, so, you know, what are some, for you, I have my kind of own methodology for food wine pairing. What do you, what do you do? Like how do, what is your, your mantra, your, that kid's excited. What is, yeah. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a park right now and um, this is the park I always come to. There's normally nobody here and apparently there is a school of delinquent children on an outing in the woods. So. How do you know they're delinquent? I'm assuming they're kids, you know. <laughs> they must be by nature. Scare <laughs> the crap out of me. So, yeah, that's, that's my guess. Can you I, just curious? Can you can you hear them? I can. Yes, they sound yeah. like they're having a really good time though, and they're delinquent. It's a it's a little park. Um, I want you to talk about. I'm gonna see if I can find a quieter place to sit. But I want you to talk about um, if you can, what like what are some food wine pairing techniques that you have as an industry professional. As a, I'm speaking as an expert now. Let's not do that. Um, so, how I, I already kind of went. I had one of my, my mini rants about how I don't. Or I think there's a lot of there's a lot of info out there that's conflicting and so on, and it's out there by people who are much smarter than me and know what they're talking about. And we go, oh well, this person said to do this, but that person said to do that. But I don't like drinking that with this and this. There's all this confusion. So I actually have some really simple things that, that I use that I think are really effective. One is the weight. And weight, you know, we think of, we don't necessarily always think of weight with food and wine, but 
but but there is way too high food. So for example, a, a salad with no protein on it, you know, with some walnuts and a little bit of cheese and some dried cranberries is light. A bone-in porterhouse is heavy and so on. So the food can be lighter or heavy, right? And wine, same thing. Low alcohol, white wines like Pinot Grigio are, are going to be light on the palate. Fuller bodied reds, higher alcohol reds, Napa Valley cabs, Bordeaux, when you get into the, the 14.5, even up to 15, California's Infidel, fully ripened California's Infidel. They're heavy. So if you can pair too closely, not doesn't have to be exact because it's not an exact science. They're different things. The weight of your wine with the weight of your food, you can go in a lot of different directions, a lot. And I, it, this means that a, a full-bodied Chardonnay will go with some things that someone tells you that red wines only go with. It means that a, a lighter-bodied Pinot or a lighter-bodied red will pair with some things people tell you to only pair white wines with. There's a, you can go in any direction. It gives you a lot more opportunity to find something to work with. So I think weight's really important. I, for me, it, it, it's definitely a top three thing. Um, two kind of along the same line is the intensity of the flavor of what you're drinking and what, and what you're eating. This one isn't as important because I think that there are subtle flavors in food that can be brought out by uh, bold wines and there are uh, subtle flavors in some wines that can be brought up by bold fruits. But if your food is so big and rich and flavorful, you slather it in barbecue sauce or there's certain spices all over it where it's just really intense and flavorful and your wine is really soft, the food's going to overpower it. So trying to be close in intensity of, of flavor between your wine and your food, I, I think helps. It, that way, one isn't just dominating the other one. Otherwise, you, you're, if the food is more intense than your, your wine, you're just drinking alcohol-flavored water for all intents and purposes, from my perspective. But the most important one that I think trumps both of those exponentially is, what do you like to drink? <laughs> Uh, if you're someone who has just gotten into wine, or maybe you've been drinking wine for a few years, but you only like a certain type, you only like California Chardonnay, you only like sparkling wine, you're a Prosecco person, you only like Cabernet, you only drink Napa Valley Cabs, whatever it is, okay, cool. I can then give you this perfect pairing of food with Alsatian Riesling. And you might think it works, but you're not going to be wild by it because Alsatian Riesling is not your thing. You like Napa Valley Cab. You like big, oaky, buttery Chardonnay. You like the fact that it's buttery. You like those uh, vanilla tones that you get from oak that you won't get in a Riesling. Uh, and you lose those when you, when, when you go to that Alsatian Riesling. So it's really important to, to drink something you like. And if you like it, that's going to go a long way in kind of rectifying all the structural things that might not work with the parent because you are drinking something you like with something you want to eat. And that's going to make you happy in general because both those things make you happy. If they make you happy together, then screw the rules. Who cares? Uh, the, what, what I think is a perfect pairing might be nothing to you. What many think is a perfect pairing might not work for me. Many and I talk all the time, we are old world wine junkies, you know, Manny's really into Spain and France, I'm really into France, so I, I, I love those things. You can give me a, a great pairing with a Napa Valley Cab and a steak, and I'll drink it, I'm not going to say no to it, don't get me wrong, but it's not my favorite thing. There's other always, stuff that I would rather do, so. Always against Napa Valley, I'm telling you, they're yeah. not, I'm, I kick us out of France, you kick us out of our own country. <laughs> but you know what? I'm okay with not being allowed back in Napa Valley. I can still go to Champagne. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to touch on that point that you had about if, if you like a specific wine, if you like Pinot Grigio and you like uh, Porterhouse Steak, and your mind is, and I don't, when I say your mind is closed, I don't mean it in a, in a, a negative sense, but where that's the type of wine that you like, that you, you're going to enjoy that. 
Um, I call that the Mark Wahlberg effect. I'll tell you a story. When I worked at this Italian restaurant many, many years ago, and this also ties back into music in dining because the chef always wanted the music to be pumping and pumping and pumping. And he came in one night, high-end restaurant, beautiful artwork on the walls, people paying hundreds of dollars a person. And he decided to play Journey, uh, Can't Stop Believing, full blast on 11. Our speaker system only went to 10, but he was able to get up to 11. And he was like, this is great. This is awesome. Because he would come in once every month and that was it. And the guests were just sitting around like, what the heck? We just want to have our bolognese and our Barolo and go home. Um, so that was my rant about music in restaurants earlier. But the, why I call it the Mark Wahlberg effect, he came into that restaurant one time with his, with his posse, Marky Mark, and they came in and they got about four dozen oysters. Hold on, hold on. If you were going to disparage Dorchester's favorite son, you're going to say Marky Mark and not the way you just pronounced it, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Marky Mark. Uh, that was my Marge Simpson, by the way, <laughs> impression. But he came in with his posse and they had about four dozen oysters with Ornalaya. And they thought it was the best thing ever. The funniest part was, you know, he was hanging out with his, his, you know, his entourage and um, they were all like the neighborhood kids. And as he was, he's like, oh, I got to take a call from my publicist. I was at the table when he was doing this. He gets up and, you know, it's a Boston restaurant. So even though it's fine dining, the tables are still close together. He's walking in between all the tables on his phone, having a conversation. And this table goes to one of the waitresses. Is that Mark Wahlberg? And she goes, yes, it is. And I think he wants you to know it too. But I, I couldn't get over the Ornelia oyster thing. But if that's what you like, have at it. It's totally fine. You know, um, I think especially if you want to show off to your friends, like before you get in your helicopter or your limo or your, you know, bat suit or whatever thing that actors do these days. That's, that's what you do. Yeah. Wherever like, you can do the vibration. I mean, <laughs> it's such a good vibration. Um, you know, for me, like food wine pairing, it's, and I'm, I'm with you in a lot of that, you know, in terms of um, kind of mirroring weight and, and intensity and texture. But it's also sometimes contrast. Maybe one reason why I like old world wines, it's the acidity, that mouthwater feel that new world wines can have and often do, but not with the classic varietals. I mean, Cabernet from Napa Valley, if you were to have a cab dominant wine from Bordeaux next to a cab dominant wine from Napa, they're going to be very different in structure. They're not going to have the same acidity. They're not going to have the same minerality. The tannic structure is going to be different. The fruit composition is going to be different. You know, and in a blind tasting, you might not get that cab that you think you love because it's not the cab you're used to. You know, you might have a sense of where it comes from, but but not the varietal breakdown. But the contrasting flavors work really well, and that acidity sometimes really helps cleanse the palate. So maybe Pinot Grigio and a porterhouse steak isn't the best thing, but Chablis and ribeye works really well because when you take a bite of the ribeye that has more marbled fat to it and a kind of sweeter um, mid-palate to it, and you have a, a drink of Chablis, which is minerally, it's, it's more fruit forward now because of, of climate change, but it's high acid that your mouth is cleansed with every single bite. Um, and for me, that's really one of the keys in food wine pairing. It's, it's really that finding the structure, you know, it's the acidity, it's the tannic structure, it's the weight of the wine. Um, you know, so my pairing today was a turkey BLT. Um, I bought at the supermarket uh, with some spicy mustard and my wine worked really well. And it's actually pretty appropriate coming up to Thanksgiving. What's the main dish in Thanksgiving? It's turkey. Well, turkey's not a, a terribly fatty cut of meat. <laughs> this wine wasn't terribly tannic, although the varietal can be. 
um, the uh, bacon had this kind of sweet, smoky flavor, worked with the wine. The lettuce and tomato um, and the mayo gave it kind of this like salad kind of thing, uh, which works with the wine. So it's pretty much your entire, and the bread, obviously we talked about earlier, you know, so for me, like food wine pairing, it's, it's matching all these structures and how do they, they complement each other. So, you know, I, I think of it less as like standing up next to each other because that gives a sense that they're competing, but it's almost like a dance, you know, that they kind of, they work with the flavor profile of the wine, the flavor profile, flavor, blah, 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 flavor profile of the food, you know, kind of mixed together. Um, and sometimes too, I do it regionally. So if I am drinking something from Burgundy, I'll try to find flavors that you might find a little more in Burgundy. Um, if I'm, I mean, I had pasta last night, fresh pasta with a very simple tomato sauce that I made with um, a really nice Barbera and it was great, but that's also something you would have in that, that region. So, you know, you were saying earlier, this concept of like, they make the wine based on the food <coughs> is, you're right, it's not true, but they're, there's just a natural comparison because I think they're used to certain flavors that just end up working well together. And so sometimes you're having Spanish food, Spanish wine, is, at least in the emotional sense, it's going to find an, an easier connection uh, rather than Burgundy wood or rather than Chianti wood. But if you want to drink Chianti, because that's your jam, it's still going to work. This is, this, is, this is the best part. I mean, the, the, the big thing that we're getting to is, yeah, there are rules, but the, it's a very loose term because you can go in any direction. And you could, I mean, you could listen to us right now and then go out and buy a bottle of wine and pair it with something you really like and go, wow, that didn't work at all. Because it, it really is so subjective. You know, find what works for you. It's really important to find what works for you. I mean, I so I said before, I have this kind of funky charcuterie board that I'm using. And the reason I did this is because it's a lot of different flavors in, on one plate. The bread and the butter is one weight. I have apricot jam. That's a little heavy. I have a creamy goat cheese. That's going to be different than the truffle gouda. The truffle is has an uh, intense flavor. The soprasada is gonna uh, is spicy, right? So all these things are, are different, but the Riesling that I have is working, I think works really well with, with all of them. Weight, acidity, intensity of flavor, the thing that we've been talking about. This might not work for you, but for the kind of what I look for, this works really well. Now, Manny was saying before, which how some new world wines just because of climate wise will not have the acid backbone that some of the old world counterparts will. That's one of the reasons I picked this wine too, is I think this wine has delightful acidity. Riesling's a high acid grape in general. It's why it's, uh, it's such an age worthy white from many places in the world. Uh, this is, this is not your cloyingly sweet candy, sticky Riesling. This is, this is refined. It's fairly dry. It has a gorgeous acid backbone. It's really refreshing. Actually, you could drink this on a hundred degree day and be completely satisfied. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm. You know, I typically, and when Adam and I say we we focus towards the old world, I mean, for me, it's 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 an aspect of of my my job, but it's also what I like. But that being said, I can appreciate new world wines uh, quite a bit. You know, the wines of New Zealand, the wines of Argentina, and the wines of of California and Washington State, and I particularly like the Poet's Leap. I think that's that's an exceptional wine. This thing is gorgeous. So, so you guys know what this wine is. The uh, there's a guy out there named Alan Shute. You've probably never heard of him. He is one of the most well, at least in the Pac Northwest in Washington, at least. He's one of the most important people the wine business has ever had. In the 1980s, he came on to Chateau Saint-Michel, when that was a nation brand, helped develop the Columbia Crest tier of wines that, that, that they sell, which we don't, but, but this is his background. And then after having all this success, 
wanted to create this kind of beacon for, for Washington. And he created this, this winery project uh, called Long Shadows. And essentially what he's doing, yeah, Poet Sleep is an item in this Long Shadows winery. Uh, he went around the world and he tried to find who was considered the best at their craft for specific varietals. So when he was making a, a Bordeaux-style wine, he went out to find Michel Roland. That's probably a name some of you have heard of. Michel Roland is a very famous winemaker from France. Um, when he decided to make Riesling, because Riesling, there is a lot of Riesling coming out of Washington, uh, he went to Germany. He didn't go to Alsace, he went to Germany because Riesling is what Germany does. And he found a gentleman named Armand, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Amendil. Uh, his family has been making Riesling in the Nau River Valley since 1802. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to try to pronounce the, the gentleman's winery because I, I can't speak English. You want me to say something in German? It's just not happening. Do it. Do it. No. Schlossel uh, uh, Deal. I don't know. Gesundheit. There you go. So uh, he he brought him over from Germany to to hand select these grapes, vinify, and so on. Uh, now look, the guys coming over from Germany. So there is there is a director of winemaking at the facility, while these guys who have their regular jobs can't be there twenty four seven, right? So they do have someone there. Uh, his name is uh, Gilles Nicole, who is making sure everything goes smoothly. But it's made in, in the vision of Armand Diehl's, you know, work in, in, in Germany. So he's trying to make the best reasoning he possibly can from these Columbia Valley grapes, taking what he knows from his heritage in Germany. And again, this is dry. Uh, there's 1.1 grams per liter of sugar in this wine, which, what does that mean? In general, that, that's dry, for a, especially for a Riesling. It's not going to be sticky sweet. Uh, the acetide, the alcohol is low, 12, 12.3%. So it's not a bomb. Uh, it's really, really pretty. Super small production, which is always cool. And again, but it's still affordable. We're still talking 20-ish bucks a bottle if you find this in retail. It's just, it's gorgeous. Uh, if you like Alsatian Riesling, if you like German Riesling, it, those style wines, I think, for a new world, Riesling, this is going to be right up your alley. I, 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 this is this is one of my favorite wines that we have in the book. And all I do is sit here and talk about how I love France. And this is a Washington wine that I absolutely adore. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, uh, we've already talked about Alsace and, you know, kind of being like, although it's real, it's it's a cooler region, you know, it's the driest region of France because of the Vosges Mountains. Um, you know, you have in Germany the Black Forest, which keeps the wine regions of Germany like the Mosul, Nye, uh, Rheingau drier. What is the climate like? Like, what are the similarities between, you know, Washington and maybe some, what are the contrasts? Like, what gives Washington State its, its terroir? So when we think Washington, we think Seattle just out of habit, I guess, because Seattle's the, you know, the city. And it just rains all the time. Well, when you go east of Seattle and get over the mountains, it doesn't rain. <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually very dry. You're in a, it's practically desert, to be quite honest. Uh, would, we call that, would we call that a rain shadow? We would call it a rain shadow. And it is like Alsace, it has this really big day-night uh, temperature swing, diurnal temperature, which is one of the reasons why this Alsatian whites maintain that, get right, but maintain that fresh acidity. It's the same thing here. We have the, those really warm days, so the grapes ripen, but we have those really cool nights. So you maintain that acidity, you maintain that vibrancy. And it... it it's just really pretty. The, the Washington wine country is dry and very desert-like. Uh, actually, the, the, it's, 
I should look this up before I say it. Uh, but I we used to I used to sell a wine ten years ago uh, in a previous life called Mary Hill, um, and it was named the hill was named Mary F because uh, because Sam Hill named the hill Mary. It's a very interesting story. You know what? What in the Sam Hill is this? Well, Sam Hill was a person who named a hill after his wife Mary, and then a wine came out of it. <laughs> uh, monkey's uncle, right? So, but one of the things they used to say was, "Hey, look, where we're getting our grapes from." We have the same temperature shift as Bordeaux. So when 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 Washington is talking about their wines, they're actually in many instances talking more to France than they are to Oregon or, or Napa uh, because of the, the drier climate and because of the, the temperature swing and so on and having some of that vibrant acidity because of the, those day-night temperatures and not having the, the, the that, so it's, in California, it's the Pacific, not the Mediterranean, but that Mediterranean climate kind of influencing the, the grapes. It's much more continental. I think that's interesting. Um, and it's so funny because when we talk oftentimes, you know, Oregon, for example, and, and we've had numerous suppliers. And for those of you that aren't in our industry, you know, we use a lot of lingo that that is indicative of our industry. So we talk about pulling bottles. It means we're we're getting bottles like we're pulling samples. Uh, meaning that we're getting samples and we're going to go out and show in the market, but we're drinking here as well. Um, and suppliers are the kind of the, the chain or the, the link in between the winery and us before it gets to the consumer, uh, the importer, basically. But I've had numerous suppliers come into our sales meetings saying, you know, Oregon is, if you look at the latitude of Burgundy, France, for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, Oregon is the same, but it's not. Um, it's actually closer towards Washington State and Chablis, which is further north, is like going up into to uh, Canada, into like Vancouver or that area or British Columbia, whatever. Um, we're higher up in terms of the, the latitude. And, and that also, because of those, the Cascade Mountains creates that diurnal shift, you know, but it is closer towards places like Bordeaux, closer towards places like Burgundy or Alsace than anywhere in California. It just, it shows that, this is why wine is so cool. All these places are, are different and they all have what, you know, what makes them unique and we all try and draw these connections and so on. But there's there's a for me there's this constant thread that, that goes through great wine and that is making me and this is one of the reasons why we like old world wine right old world wine is labeled by place and not necessarily by varietal the place is just as important um, because they're they're trying to express that place what what's indicative of that area uh, as opposed to making a wine to a type per se. They're trying to illustrate that place and that time, the, the bottle is a time capsule for the grapes in that given year. And when you do that, you get some really cool, different, funky, imaginative projects. And that, that's, to me, that's where the romance is. And when we talk about the romantic aspect of wine and not the business side, that's where it is. And you don't just find that in the old world, you do find that all over the place. Yeah, I would I would agree, and you know one reason why I think you know I don't drink the wine that you're drinking nearly enough, but I know that wine quite well, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. One reason why it works so well with food is that acidity. You know that, and on on a molecular level, the acid's really important because I don't know if it's a molecular. I'm just throwing that word out because I just like saying on a molecular level. But when you drink wine with acidity. It makes your mouth water. And when your mouth waters, you break down proteins and fat into the molecular like structures. And as it breaks down into your mouth, into your palate, in your belly, it helps you digest food better. It's, it's always going to work. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's going to work better. I think especially for a lot of the cuisine that, that we like to eat in, in for Americans, which is, you know, it's, a, it's an amalgamation, obviously, in the United States of... Europe of Asian culture of South American culture 
but we do eat foods with a lot more fat in this country. Um, whereas like so uh, Japan, for example, the food is not as fatty and that's why sake works well because sake is not as acidic. But when you have a high fat content, when you have um, these kind of richer flavors or braises, and what I think is really interesting when we talk about food wine pairing, the instinct is that big, rich, heavy red wine with a braised dish or like a northern European dish. But in northern Europe, they drink light, crisp, high acid white wines. High acid white wine with fondue because that, that acid cuts right through that melted cheese, you know, and it cleanses the palate. It was you know, I said what I said earlier about Chablis and porterhouse steak or, or ribeye. It cleans the fat from your palate and then you're ready for the next glass and ready for the next bite. Whereas in Mediterranean climates, and the wine I'm drinking is actually from the Mediterranean, typically the food is very simple. It's grilled meat, it's like fresh vegetables, and they have these sometimes, depending on where you're at, big, rich, heavy, massive red wines. Um, in the south of France, throughout you know the coast of Italy, um, throughout parts of Spain. So my wine <coughs> is from Spain. It's from an area called the Costa Brava, which means um, angry coast. And where the reason why they call it the angry coast, it, it's because of where it sits on the Pyrenees. So you have the Pyrenees Mountains, you have France in the Roussillon area of France, and then the Pyrenees, and then you have uh, Catalonia in Spain. And the way the Pyrenees go out into, or uh, kind of like the outcroppings of rocks go out, it creates this real intense tidal pool in this part of Spain, when you get these massive, massive waves. You also have this intense wind coming from France called the Tramontana, which is kind of like, it comes from France into Spain, which also lifts up a lot of the water. And it's kind of like that version, the Spanish version of the Mistral's. Um, but what it does in this area, so the region itself is called Importa, that's the appellation, the DO. The DO is, is the Spanish version of the AOC or the, you know, Columbia Valley would be the ABA in Washington, Napa Valley, et cetera. And this area is relatively low. Um, you're about, you know, anywhere between three, three feet to about 400 feet above sea level. So it's not that high up, but you have the Pyrenees mountain range and the Pyrenees with the Mediterranean and the Tramontana regulate the temperature that you get in this area. Um, and it actually becomes a relatively moderate climate. So it's not, you know, the diurnal shift is not massively different. You know, the, the days can get kind of cool, the nights can get, or the days can get kind of warm, the nights can get kind of cool. Um, so it, it's a moderate area, but the wines develop a lot of acidity. And the wine I'm drinking today is unique because it's a varietal called Monastral. And Monastral is a grape you find in uh, further south in Spain, in the area of Valencia, there's a village called Pumilla, and those wines are super intense, really rich, heavily tannic, inky dark, because there we're getting closer towards the, the desert part of Spain, and, and um, the interior of Spain has much more of a, an effect on the climate here. So you get these wines that are high alcohol, high tannin, the scrape also grows in France. It grows in the Côte d'Aron. It grows in Provence, where they call it Monos, uh, they call it uh, Mouvedre. And uh, this goes into pronunciation because people say Mouvedre, people say Mouvedre, people say uh, Mouvedre. It's uh, you can just call it Mouvedre. It's totally fine. But it is the same varietal. Um, and in all these different areas, the grape acts a little differently. And in this area, because our climate's a little more mild, it's still, it's 14 and a half percent alcohol. It's still, it's not a light wine, but the integration of fruit, the tannin, the acidity is so well balanced that the alcohol is not out of whack at all. And this is a wine that works well with simple charcuterie. Um, I had it with um, a turkey BLT, you know, with my little internal salad of mayo and lettuce and tomato and the bread, and it worked really, really well. 
in the summertime, I put a chill on it and I have it with burgers. Um, on a hot day in summer with barbecue, it's super, super awesome. And I'm gonna, even though if you're watching on listening on Spotify, you're not gonna see this. I'm gonna pull the bottle out. This is my wine bag opening up. If anyone's curious what that sound is, so we got a little monkey on here, well, chimpanzee to be exact. So the winery is called La Vigneta. La Vigneta is uh, it's a partnership uh, between um, Marta, Marta Pedra and her husband. They founded this winery in the late 90s, I believe, with a vineyard of uh, Carigneña or Carignan and Garnacha or Grenache, both, once again, Spanish varietals that made its way to the rest of, of Southern Europe. And um, they typically just do blends, but they have something called the, the Mono Series because it's mono varietal. And the reason why they're apes on the labels, on this label, it's a chimpanzee by the name of Bongo, is because mono in Spanish means monkey. And so all the proceeds to this wine, which is also uh, sustainably farmed, it's certified um, organic through the EU uh, system, it's vegan. All the proceeds to the wine go to an organization called Mona, which once again means monkey in Corona, Spain, not far from here. And so um, basically, you know, apes that have been used in scientific research, um, that have been held in captivity, that need to be integrated back with other apes, they all go here. Someone decides they want to get their child a spider monkey uh, because they have money. And what else do you do when you have a lot of money? You buy your kids stupid things. Um, and then the spider monkey starts throwing feces. And then the people don't know what to do with it. They take it here and they rehabilitate them and, and kind of try to integrate them back into ape, ape culture. And so every year, every vintage has a different uh, ape on the label. Um, so the last year was Bea. And this, we just got it actually this week. Um, it's 2020, which is really young for a red wine. Yeah. It's really young for Monastral. And the first time I tried it was a couple of years ago. And I was it was 2018 was the vintage. And like, this is not going to be drinkable. The wine is super fresh. Um, but because it is in this moderate climate, it's in a cooler climate that doesn't have an intense shift in daytime. Because if this grape were grown in where your wine comes from in the Columbia Valley, it would have a lot of acidity, but it would be so heavy and so rich because of that intense sunshine, um, it would be too difficult to drink. But what makes this wine great and why it works with so many different flavors is because of that moderate climate. So when you're going out to the store and you want to, you know, you're buying wine for a group of people, find a wine that's 15, 20 bucks. This would be around $16, $17 a bottle. Um, you know, find a wine for a red wine, look for something maybe that's in a cooler climate um, or maybe that's in a more moderate climate. White wine, maybe a climate that's a little more dramatic because you're going to get that ripe fruit, but you're going to get the high acid. So the person that likes oaky buttery Chardonnay will probably like your wine because of the fruit expression. Someone that likes Chablis is going to love it because of the acid. The all-encompassing term, crowd pleaser. Exactly. Which, uh, every person will tell you every wine they sell is a crowd pleaser. <laughs> that's what we want. But unfortunately, they don't. They don't all work that way. But I think that's a good way no, to, to describe it. A lot of my favorite wines are wines that I know are not for everybody. Yeah, it's interesting because you have a Monastrel. Monastrel actually is the wine that got me my first wine job. So I was interviewing for a very small wholesaler called Abway Imports, and the gentleman at the time, his name's Anthony Bruno. He now works for a. a he's at a different company now in Rhode Island. Uh, wonderful mentor. You know, he asked the generic, so what do you like to drink? Because everyone asks that when you're interviewing for a wine job, right? And I started with the, oh, well, you know, it depends. You know, I, sometimes I like this. I would go into whatever. And I finished the, the sentence and went, wait, you know, can I take that back for a sec? Because I was out with my wife to dinner a couple of nights ago at some, at some random restaurant that, you know, we had a gift certificate to. And they were featuring a Montestrel by the glass. 
And that thing was banging. I'd never had one before. And it might be my new favorite thing. So I'm going to change. I'm going to say it's Monastrell because I thought that was really good. And he went, you, you, one, you knew what Monastrell was. It's a wine jobs. And you knew what Monastrell was. And you said you liked it. So it's like, okay, he's not, it's not a, it wasn't a bullet, uh, a boilerplate answer. It was an actual, you know, um, I was saying that I was, a, I was a geek. And when you say, uh, yeah, I'm a geek, you know, like I like Napa Valley Chardonnay and Chianti and, but then I said Monastrell and all of a sudden the, the light went on and I got my job and now I'm here. So without Monastrell, I wouldn't be here right now. See, there you have it. Um, and without Riesling, it was the same for me. It was, it was one of those eye-opening varietals where it's like, oh my God, this, and it was German Riesling. It was like, oh my God, this is sweet, but it's different. It's not just sweet. It's not cloyingly sweet. There's that acid and minerality, and I can smell flint and gun smoke. And, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of jealous. I really wish I picked Riesling because I think Riesling is a wine that works with everything. Um, there's a reason why wine people love Riesling and people in the industry love Riesling. And sometimes that kind of off dry, slightly sweet German style Riesling because it works with everything. It really does. Awesome. Awesome. I have a, before we ramble on here for another, I have another hour and a half long podcast. I want to tell one more story kind of as an example of why rule wise, you don't have to, you, you, you can ignore them a little bit and just kind of do it, do, you know, do what makes, you know, do what sparks you, what sparks joy. Right. I did a wine that, uh, at this point, seven years ago, at a really nice restaurant, really talented chef on Cape Cod. And he had to change one of the pairings last minute because, it, you know, he had a, his a menu that's fairly set, hasn't changed a lot in the last 15 years, but he plays with his specials and his wine dinners. That's where he really shows what he can do. That's where he likes to have fun. And one of the things he wanted, he thought he was going to be able to get, he wasn't able to get. So the third course was a New World Pinot, Sonoma Coast, Joseph Phelps Freestone Vineyards Pinot Noir, with a monkfish, which is a, if you don't guys don't know what monkfish is, it's a white fish, okay? That is also known as poor man's lobster. That's right. Kid. And this pairing went out and, you know, I, I'm, I'm running the dinner as far as the wine portion goes. So I'm talking to everyone in between courses, I'm going around, do you have any questions? You know, ask away. I'm making things up because I, I don't know what I'm talking about and people are totally buying it. It's awesome. And I get to this one table and the way the room is set up, so you guys have an idea, um, it is I'm going along a wall and there are tables set up kind of uh, diamond coming from the wall. So the, if the couples are uh, side by side as opposed to across from each other. So when I'm talking to one table, I can actually talk to two at the same time. It's really cool. They do this that way. I don't have to Saves me a lot of time when you have a hundred people at a wine dinner and I'm talking to one table and I'm getting grilled by this husband and wife who have not touched their wine and have not touched their food. And the, it's probably been down for like five minutes. They haven't touched anything. They waited for me to come over to talk to them and just grilling me. So, you know, who, who picks the wine? Uh, what do you mean? Who, who picks the wine? You know, chef and I got together and we're doing, you know, Joseph Phelps and we wanted to do Pinots. I, I, I don't, I don't fully understand. Well, well who, who then, you know, how then do you go about like picking the, picking the pairing? What, wait a minute. Are you, are you questioning the pairing before you've tried it? Because you haven't touched your glass and your plate looks pristine. And the wife looked at me in horror <laughs> because I, I had just, I, I, I knew it was going on. The, it's a white fish and a red wine. And that's, you know, that's one of the, you don't do that. You, you know, you do Pinot Noir with salmon only. You don't do other, you know, with, with other fish. That's not how, that's not what you do. So he was, you know, all kind of bent out of shape because this was one of these rules that he had always followed. And I was, I was nice about it, or I was as nice as I could be about it because I was really annoyed. 
that, you know, we had this absolutely beautiful preparation of food. Chef is so talented over um, at Blue, uh, Chef Fufu at, at Blue on Cape. So good. And gorgeous preparation and this really nice this really nice wine from from sonoma I mean, a really pretty pinot from the sonoma coast it's not my thing but it's really well made and it worked well together i had tried it before i got up because i want to be able to talk about it when i'm talking to people and they hadn't even tried it and they were already assuming it was going to stink so i said do me a favor before you judge it try it when i come back for the next course we'll have the same conversation okay and then i turned to the table i said i could kind of talk to two tables at once I turned slightly to the left and said, so uh, would you like to critique the chef or myself from this side of the room? And they all laughed about it, thank God, because I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for that. It worked. It came off. But I came back at the, around the next time with the, with the new pairing in front. I said, okay, talk to me. And he goes, that was really good. Because that was, I guess, I... I'm, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have. I'm like, no, no. Like, it's, look, you, if you've been told for years, this is the rule. And then you pay a lot of money for a wine dinner and someone breaks the rule and puts it down in front of you. You're going to be like, oh, wait, what's what, like, um, what's going on here? I, I, I get the initial response, but also it, it just goes to show that there's more possibilities out there and you can be adventurous and it'll work. It, it doesn't have to be a script. Yep. And, um, the kid out there agrees with you. He's just screaming, yeah! Uh, yes. or, or they just scored a goal. I don't know. Um, and, and the thing is, too, <laughs> the, um, Joseph Phelps, for someone that likes old world wines, those wines are ridiculously good. Yeah. Even the, even the Chardonnay is really, like, that. that's an exceptional wine. And there's a lot of great New World Chards. Um, there's a lot of crappy New World Chards, but you know, at the same sense, there's a lot of crappy Old World Chardonnays too. <laughs> there's just a lot of bad wine in Burgundy. There's a lot of good wine everywhere and a lot of bad wine everywhere. You're just going to exactly. find what makes sense. It's, it, it, and, and what works for you and experimenting. And it's great, like, you know, going on to the point of the pairing of, you know, I've always been told this is how you do it. And that's, that's great too. You know, it's my dad never cooked. But when he cooked, he would barbecue, not often, but once in a while, and he had to put the briquettes a certain way. You know, you gotta you gotta put the briquettes like this. Really, Dad, I never would have thought of a pile. Good job, you know. Or like, like grandfather when he would go cook something, like he would like go to the certain store that he had to get it. You got to get it from here, and and when you're doing it yourself, that's great. But you can't necessarily critique other people for doing it differently because people have different experiences. And good wine is going to pair with good food across the board. There are things and that work better if your wine is company. Exactly. And they should all work as an amalgamation because ultimately the, the, the whole point of great food, of great wine, of great music is the experience of people. And to, to be able to connect them all together where not one thing is dominating anything above the people, that's just bonus. If, if you're around the right people and, it's, and it all works together, it's going to be memorable. Everything, like life, everything's about relationships, everything. How you feel in that individual that that moment with someone, you know, if the the first time you met your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever it is, if you had a wine in that moment, you're gonna remember that wine for the rest of your life. It might be your favorite wine because of of the moment you were in, the food, so the certain things that were attached to for for holidays and all that stuff. It's the it's all intertwined. They're not separate. You know, yep. it's not you know you you love what you have on thanksgiving not just because it tastes really good but because nanny used to make it for you and that's when you that's when you saw her and, and all those little things it, it's it's so important it's it's one of the best parts about about it it's not it's not just the bottle it's not just the dish it's everything that it's it's all encompassing it's yeah. community absolutely and that's um and you know we're going into a time of year when we're going to be getting together with a family sometimes for the first time in two years yeah um you know and you're gonna to have to deal with uncle frank and his off-color comments and you know 
Aunt Bethany talking about, you know, if you, you just smiled more or whatever, you know, and it's, um, and that's also part of the, the terroir, you know, of, of, of family and, and dinner and conversation. But, you know, finding that food and finding that wine and finding that dish, it's not about being perfect. It's just about everything exactly. kind of working glorious and harmonious. That sounds like a good place to end it. I don't think we, I don't think we can improve upon that note. It's only one question, though. This is something I haven't thought about because you chose food wine pairing. I haven't thought about what we should do next. Can we leave a cliffhanger and then announce it on a video? Because we still owe, uh, uh, we still owe a video. For, uh, for we, owe, we, owe, we owe a lot of videos. But, no, but, but we owe Ryan's mom specifically a video. Oh, yes, yes. I gave her a shout out. not doing videos. I gave her a shout out in the last one. Yes. Um, but uh, no, I think we can, we can totally do that. And just so people that are, that are waiting patiently for videos, all 200 of you, because we have 200 Instagram followers <laughs> and we get usually 100 views on them. Um, mostly for me going to different devices, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's all the same. But this is also the time of year when Adam, Adam and I can't really think straight until January. Um, and come January, it'll be a lot different. But right now, it's to even carve out an hour on a Friday afternoon right before a sales meeting is challenging. So yeah. um, let's leave it a cliffhanger. Let's do it. Awesome. Are we going? Right. Are we going out with the same music, or did you? Or were you fancy? No, 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 no. We'll we'll go out with Excellent. glorious harmonious. This song always you talk about like moments and memories, like the last time Kishibashi listening to philosophize with it, chemicalizing it, always takes me to my time in my time in Tokyo. One trip I went on. Um, this always reminds me of, I saw him and his wife Catherine, I saw them both before live with my wife in, at Club Passim in, in Cambridge about two years ago when the album was released. And it was incredible, you know, and that this album will always be that moment, like, you know, sitting Come on, let me at Club, Club Passim drinking a beer. In the olden days Come on, let me tell you about All the forgotten ways I remember it feeling it took me over So glorious Every fiber of my being was vibrating
say the grass is always greener You can see that for yourself by becoming a believer 